Welcome back, fiction fans, to my podcast, Not Just Any Other Story. I'm Anita Capri, and I thank you so much for joining me for episode two. Today, we will be continuing with my novel, The Shopping Cart People, starting with chapter three. I would also like to welcome today's guest, a very dear, dear friend of mine, Cindy. Cindy is an educator, a mom, a wife, a grandmother. No, wait a minute. I mean a super educator, super mom, super wife, super grandmother, and I'm not exaggerating. She's smiling away here. She's one of the most fun and generous people I know, so I am truly appreciative of her being here today with us. So welcome, Cindy. Well, thank you, Me. You are I call you Me, that's for sure. <laughs> I can't think of you as Anita. I don't know why. Uh, I feel very blessed and honored to be here with you. You're such a great friend, and I, I think the world of you, and I think the world of this book. Oh, we thank you, We just Cindy. wrote an amazing book. It was so much fun. It was <laughs> hilarious. I had to say I laughed pretty much on every page. Yeah. Well, you know what? I So we're going to read um, Chapter 3. Love that. And we'll have a little discussion, but I really want you to know that you can criticize. You don't have to just say what you liked, okay? Oh, I'm all about that. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so if you recall... Um, um, listeners that we left off a of chapter two where Angel left the party her sister's party and she bumped into Les but anyway she um, has had some pretty intimate moments with Les in her teenagehood so um, she left and ended up telling him that her name was Betty instead of Angel and she will just explain a little bit about that right now starting in chapter three so chapter three is entitled what's in a name Betty, Moira nodded her head disapprovingly as she said it. She had come over early the day after the party as she usually did before church. Why would you lie to a complete stranger about your name? And if you're going to make up a name, couldn't you have thought of something like Sophia or Angelina or something? What's wrong with Betty, I retorted. Well, for starters, it just doesn't have that sexy, sophisticated ring to it. Just take a moment here and consider the implications of a name. I mean, what do men think of when they hear Sophia? Uh, Sophia Loren, I answered, confident that I was on the right track. She laughed, but craftedly didn't answer my question. And so what do men think about when they hear Betty? I was almost afraid to hear the answer. Well, let's see now. She took her time considering the possibilities. Betty Rubble, Betty Ford, Betty Grable, I said, almost shouting. I was quite satisfied that I'd thought of at least one starlet with the name Betty. Now she was a beautiful actress. Most men your age don't even know who Betty Grable is, said Moira. They might. She gave me one of her I-know-better looks, Betty Boop. Do you want him to think of Betty Boop when he thinks of you? She was back at it. Betty Boop is very attractive. She's a cartoon character, Angel. At this, we both could not refrain from laughing full out loud. Just in time to break up our little spat, Harry walked into the kitchen. Who's Betty Boop? Your mom. She's Betty Boop, Moira teased. What would you like for breakfast, my sweet boy, I asked, ignoring Moira while giving Harry a good morning kiss on the top of his head. Uh, maybe bacon and eggs, he yawned as he opened the fridge and stared into it vacantly. Why do I even ask? You always want the same thing every Sunday morning. Hey, Mom, do we really have to go to church today? His eyes pleaded with me as he asked the question that was becoming a new Sunday ritual. Of course we do. Besides, Moira is joining us to hear Father Mike's inspiring words. Can't we just miss one Sunday once in a while? Yes, we can. I already had an answer for this one, when it's absolutely necessary. He trudged off down the hallway to his room, realizing that for the time being, at least, he was defeated. 
Might as well get dressed while I'm making your breakfast, I called out to him just before he closed his, his bedroom door. After Mass, and with forgiveness in my heart, I decided to drop in on Bev. Not only had I accused her of blabbing about my past, I also left without helping her with the huge mess at the end of the evening. There was an unspoken rule in my family that when one of us had a party, we always stayed to the end for the cleanup. When the door opened, a set of tired eyes greeted us. A moment passed, and Bev and I both simultaneously said sorry to each other and hugged. Struggling to hold back tears of guilt, I asked, did it go really late last night? Yeah, pretty late. She motioned for us to come in out of the front entranceway. But it was great to see everyone along with a few people from my past. Did those two guys I met think I was a total dork or what? I asked. I just told them you were on your period and they understood. What? My eyes must have popped out of my head and I wonder if I wondered if I'd forgiven her too quickly. A guilty smile betrayed her and both Moira and Bev laughed heartily. You are evil, I said as the mood shifted from serious to playful. Harry looked slightly disgusted and decided to make a quit e quick exit saying, I'm going to find Brendan and Liz if you're going to talk about this women's stuff. You'll find your little cousins out back, said Bev, winking at him. Sure, Aunt Bev. And make sure they're not digging in my garden again, Harry nodded as, as he headed out to the backyard. Bev's children, Brendan and Liz, were both miracle babies. For three years, Bev and Hans had tried to conceive. When it seemed unlikely that they would have any children, they decided to focus on their dream of opening a new bistro-style restaurant instead. This was a big change from the little desert dessert place they previously ran. Then one morning, a few days after the grand opening of Leo's place, named after Hans's late father, Bev woke up with a fierce bout of morning sickness. It was even more of a thrill when she discovered that she was carrying twins. Liz and Brendan were as close as any twins could be, but fought about everything. Though Liz seemed to be the more domineering, the two six-year-olds were little spitfires, full of pep and vigor, much like their mother. I looked around, and, to my astonishment, the house looked perfectly in order. One would never know that a party had taken place there just hours before. But that was just like Bev. Somehow she always managed to keep up the long hours at the restaurant and a busy schedule with her kids, although I suspected that Molly, the 16-year-old that lived next door, was making a killing in babysitting funds. Sorry I wasn't here for the cleanup, I said somewhat sheepishly. Yes, me too, Moira added. Is there anything we can do now? No, come and have some coffee and leftovers. Bev led the way into the kitchen. Both Moira and I licked our lips at the thought of Bev's, Bev's homemade hors d'oeuvres and some fresh coffee. Hans was already in the kitchen reading the newspaper, holding a chocolate-covered croissant in one hand. He looked up over his coffee. Hey, this is deja vu. Traces of chocolate could be seen on his front teeth. After a brief account from Hans about the party, Bev served up the leftover food, including the mini-sized chocolate croissant. Then, catching me right off guard, she said with an air of authority, Oh, and by the way, the two cute guys you met last night are not gay, and the blonde one, Colin, seems to have an eye for you, sis. Excuse me, but did I ask if they were gay? I couldn't believe she had read my thoughts from the previous night. No, you didn't, but one of the girls from work thought they were. I guess straight guys aren't allowed to be good-looking and have incredible style at the same time, she laughed. Hey, Hans cut in. Does that mean I'm either ugly or I have bad taste? Oh, no, you're special, Hans, Mara took the liberty of answering. An obvious payback for the previous night's compliment. Getting back to the subject, Bev said, rolling her eyes. Colin asked about you afterwards, Angel. 
you're kidding. I was somewhat shocked, but a little pleased at the idea. Yeah, and their other friend, Les, showed up at the party, too. He was really nice. I could tell she was referring to the physical as well as his personality. You know, it's the weirdest thing, she continued. This guy, Les, he walks in. I see him from the other side of the room, and right away I recognize him. I thought, holy cow, it's Les Grierson from my hometown. I couldn't believe it. What are the odds that he would show up here at my party? He was like the hottest guy in high school. Do you remember him, Angel? I was so preoccupied asking myself the same question that I didn't answer her at first. What were the odds that Les, who grew up in small town Ontario and then went off to university in the States, would be friends with a couple of guys from Toronto? And then these two guys from Toronto show up at my sister's restaurant. She invites them to her party and they in turn invite Les to come. And then it's Les who just happens to be standing right in my path when I stormed out of the house. Everyone was staring at me as this chain of events played itself out in my mind. I knew I was not a good liar, and I did my best to play dumb not about not knowing who Les was. I finally nodded a simple no. I didn't know him well, Beth continued. He was a year ahead of me in school, one of those untouchable types, the big jock on campus. Colin says he moved here from Vancouver recently. Vancouver, I thought to myself. I thought he'd been living in the States all this time. So how does he know your two buddies if he just moved here? I asked, suddenly alive with curiosity. I had to ask the question. I had to know anything about him and how it came to be that out of nowhere, Les Grierson happened to walk right into my life again after so many years and apparently after living in so many cities. I'm not sure, she replied when eyebrow raised. Colin and Rishi seem to know him quite well. I think they're all business associates. Bankers and accountants, maybe? Anyway, she said, her contemplative expression now turning to excitement, as if she had one more juicy piece of gossip to share. The weirdest thing happened. He said he met someone named Betty here last night. He asked who she was. Really? I cut in, trying to sound casually curious. Yeah, and I don't know anyone named Betty, and I'm pretty sure no one brought someone with them named Betty. Bev furrowed her eyebrows, and Hans peered over his newspaper once again, looking at Moira and me, his stare laced with suspicion. Les said she was leaving the party, Bev continued, twitching her nose and making a pouting face, the way she always did when she was determined to figure something out. In this case, it was the mystery of the party crasher. Maybe someone crashed the party and you didn't know, Mara suggested, and then with a smooth turn of her head looked at me, her half-upturned lip betraying that she was utterly amused by the whole conversation. I doubt that, Hans interjected. You don't miss the thing, Bev. Well, whoever she is, Mara said, maybe she'll crash another one of our parties and then we'll find out who she is. Then she turned to me again and with a hidden sarcasm that only I was privileged enough to recognize, she asked, what do you think, Angel? Who do you think this Betty person was? Wasn't it just like Mara to toy with me in this way? I could tell she was enjoying my discomforting predicament. Don't know was all I could answer as I glared at her from across the table. So that's the end of chapter three. Shorter one. Yeah. Should yeah. I continue or do you want to say anything? Yeah. Um, do I want to say anything? I love this chapter. I'm sorry. I wasn't sure if this was still on. No, I thought it was wonderful. It, it shows the relationship between the two sisters. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And it shows, um, you know, Bev and it reminds me, Bev, how, she, how clean she was, but that's how you are with your home. <laughs> You're so 
you're so organized and as an educator you had everything every time i talk to somebody about the, my book they say oh yeah she's just like this you're yeah. like this and yeah. Anne said the same thing when she was on last time yeah yeah so angel is very very organized and neat and i love it and uh and i see it's different people um I, I like the whole idea that Colin's interested in Angel, but yeah. the, the meeting between Les and Angel, yeah. that was, yeah. you know, kind of by chance, but not. Yeah. <laughs> I and love you'll it. see why. Yes. <laughs> you'll see why. I okay. love it. So should Pretty we continue? Well, yeah. You want to read chapter four? I can. Okay. You just have to start here. Though a few days had passed since Bev's party, my mind was still reeling over seeing Les, my first love. I couldn't help but feel a little disappointed that he had no recollection of me at all. But then how could he have? I didn't resemble in any way the scrawny 15-year-old of my past with short, spiked-up hair and eyeglasses that were too large for my face. Though, if he had recognized me, I wouldn't have been ready for it. It's a sign, Myra said. You were meant to bump into that guy. If she only knew the irony behind what she was saying. Moira did not know who Harry's father was. In fact, no one knew. But there seemed to be an underlying truth in what he, she had said. Maybe this was it. Maybe Les was supposed to come into my life again. Maybe this was finally the tell-all sign that he should know about the, Harry and Harry about him. Then I can also tell about my parents. They deserve so much to know the truth. My mother in particular bore the burden of the unknown just as much as I bore the secret. How many times had she pleaded for me to tell her? How many times did she try to convince me to deal with this one missing piece of my life? Year after year, she hoped I would find Harry's real father, no matter what happened afterward. She, more than anyone, needed closure. Despite the circumstances of having had a pregnant 15-year-old and then becoming a grandmother at 43, my mother had always been there for me and for Harry. She fell in love with her seven-pound, seven five-ounce grandson from the moment she laid eyes on him, and I loved her even more for that. Harry was born in April, just short of my 16th birthday, christened Harry Michael O'Leary. Dad was as proud as punch that his first grandson would be named after his own father, Harold O'Leary, and him, Michael O'Leary. At the time, I knew it was some sort of act of retribution to name my first baby after my father and my grandfather. Now I couldn't imagine calling him by any other name. Dad doted on Harry from the moment he was born, but his quiet way with babies was in dire contrast to the unceasing oohs and ahs of the woman in our family. I used to watch him holding Harry while he lay on the couch watching a soccer match or a hockey game. Surprisingly, Harry never cried with Dad. I knew that no grandfather could love a grandson more, though it had been my father who had been the most had the most difficult time forgiving me during my pregnancy and for some time after Harry was born. He was so heartbroken over having a pregnant teenage daughter that I could barely stand to be in the same room with him. His silence was worse than anything he could have said to me. A few times during the early days of my pregnancy, I would catch glimpses of him sitting in his study alone, bent over his desk, his hand clasped in both in both hands, his head clasped in both hands. It was pure anguish. I didn't think he would ever forgive me. He did, of course, but it had taken a toll on him and on our relationship. I couldn't imagine what it must have been like for both of my parents. 
being Catholic and avid, avid churchgoers, it had been difficult for them to accept that their youngest daughter, a good Catholic girl, was pregnant and 15 and unmarried. We moved away from Huntsville, Ontario at the suggestion of the school principal, who was coincidentally a priest. And was I the hated one in the family for a long time? I was, to my brother and sisters, the reason why all of our lives had to be ruined. I was reminded of this often, except of course when everyone felt sorry for me during my heaving moments. I also looked younger than I was. Though 15, I was a late bloomer and I could still pass for 12 at the movie theater. When my belly, belly started to pop out, people, especially women, would point and whisper when they noticed such a young thing with that to deal with. Just about the only thing I was thankful for during my pregnancy were my big breasts. Well, they were at least bigger. Without a doubt, the greatest hardship for both my mother and father was my uncompromising position of keeping the identity of Harry's father a secret. It wasn't just that they had a pregnant teenage daughter, but there was no one they could blame for deflowering their innocent little girl. This was almost more than they could bear. I spent many nights in my bed awake, crying over their pain, then the realization that the teen years no longer existed for me. Why did I never tell them? It made sense to me at the time not to tell anyone, including the father of my unborn baby. Things would have turned out much differently, but not necessarily better. I was glad to have been able to keep the image of Les Grierson on a pedestal all these years. There were never the shared tears or harsh words of regret, no souring of the relationship, just the beautiful picture I had of him in my mind. I knew that keeping him out of the equation meant that only I would be the one to suffer. Only my dreams, my youth, would be sacrificed. After all, I was raised Catholic, and the notion of sacrifice was one held very dear in our household. Make sacrifices, work hard, go the extra mile, give of yourself. We're all part of the moral fabric by which we are taught to live our lives. Les was the guy that everyone liked, and who seemed to fit in everywhere he went. Smart, tall, athletic, and very cute. He was somewhat of a small-town superstar. To this day, I have no idea what attraction he could possibly have had for me. Four years his junior, gawky, skinny, and very unpopular in comparison to him. But there was something between us, however brief. Of that, I am absolutely sure. Am I also sure that this studly creature would have committed to the mother of the baby he had known if he had known about it? Oh yes, I believe he would have tried, even if he didn't love me. So, he was spared. Looking at it from my perspective, I had no choice. I had to make the decision for both of us. He was a senior, ready to go off to university, with a scholarship, I might add. We hadn't really ever dated. In fact, we didn't know much about each other at all before we did the deed. Up until then, he knew me as one of the checkout girls at Miller's Grocery Store, and I always did extremely clumsy things whenever he was around. The extent of our conversations consisted of, Hi. Bye. Did you need a bag for that? But beneath our brief exchanges, I sent something about him that seemed extraordinary. He was someone you had to notice, someone you couldn't help liking, and not just because of his striking good looks. He always gave me a friendly smile when he saw me, though I could never find anything to say to him that would sound interesting or intelligent. So I would just smile back and avoid looking directly at his face. That went on for months. I finally did get the opportunity to formally introduce myself early one Saturday morning. My mother and I had to take my cat, Callie, to the vet to be put down. The 15-year-old Tabby had suffered with cancer for a while, and when her condition began to deteriorate, we'd all agreed that it wasn't fair to let her go on. I'm sure this was the moment I decided I wanted to be a veterinarian. 
pledging that someday I would find a cure for kitty cancer, or at least try to save as many cats as humanly possible. I was a complete mess, sitting there in the waiting room when Les came strolling in with his dog. I wasn't sure what to cry about, my cat or the fact that I looked like such a wreck in front of him. When he sat down beside me, he began talking to me right away. His words were comforting and gentle. As he spoke, the tears rolled down my face. He put his arms around my shoulders and asked me my name and told me that when his dog died, he couldn't speak to anyone for a week and that he had cried. And I believed him because when he told me this, his voice cracked just a little. At that moment, the vet came out of the back room with my mother, who averted my stare for fear. I was sure that she would begin crying as well. As we were leaving, I looked back over my shoulder at Les. He smiled in his usual way as he said goodbye, and it occurred to me that he was, despite his outstanding presence, just a regular sweet guy. The following Friday evening, almost a week later, he was waiting for me outside of Miller's grocery store when I finished work. He was holding a brown box the size of a loaf of bread. As I approached, I could hear soft, muffled meowing. When I reached him, I looked into the box and saw a beautiful white kitten with bright blue eyes staring up at me, petrified. I thought it was the sweetest thing I'd ever laid eyes on. I thought a white kitten was perfect for you, he said, like an angel, like your name. It was the first time he seemed unsure of himself as he searched my expression for some sign of gratitude. I hope you like her, he finally said, smiling. I was grateful, all right, and maybe I took it the wrong way and he was only being nice, but when I became totally overwhelmed with emotion and timidly stepped in to kiss him on the cheek to thank him, he turned his mouth toward mine, and this somewhat awkward moment became suddenly something quite different. And what a kiss it was. I actually opened my eyes for a few seconds just to see whether his eyelids were flittering the way they were supposed to when you're really kissing someone and enjoying it. At least that's what my friend Elise told me. She would know. She'd kiss lots of guys. The next thing I knew, I was drinking a Diet Coke in his car on the other side of town, behind the old strip mall that had been half torn down. We talked for a long time in that car with the smell of his cheap but mildly appealing cologne wafting its way around in there. We came up with a plan for convincing my mother to let me keep the kitten. I would tell her that I had come across the kitten, abandoned on the side of the road. I knew my mother would let me keep, keep it if she thought it had been abandoned by someone. As we schemed and shared funny pet stories, I scratched the kitten behind her ears and stroked her silky fur. The rattling of her purring made us both feel like proud parents. Then Les leaned over and started kissing me, and all inhibitions escaped me like a butterfly breaking free from its cocoon. I was completely lost in the moment, and while we kissed and made other odd noises, I didn't open my eyes, not once. I think that was the moment I grew up. I mean, reach that mature notion of self. They say when you get a loan from the bank or when you go out to live on your own or when you have kids, then you grow up real quick. My father's words coming back to me. Well, for me, it was then. After Les made love to me, I felt different. It wasn't that morbid, de-virginized feeling that good girls like me were supposed to feel after a steamy or not so steamy first time. I just felt somehow that it was all the way it should have been. I didn't feel like some stupid high school kid who was gaga after the guy of her dreams noticed her, or in this case, slept with her. I didn't feel regret or worry that he would ignore me from that moment on. I just knew there was something more to it. And this guy, who was bigger than life and practically a stranger to me, he seemed to know it too. Was I being a naive idiot? Perhaps. But even at that age, a woman's intuition is something not to be messed with. 
And if I was anything like my mother or my older sisters, I was greatly in tune with my intuitive side. I only saw him once following our intimate encounter because he left shortly afterwards for summer vacation with his family. And then he was off to college with his tightly packed scholarship and a promising future ahead of him. I was feeling pretty special then, at least for a few weeks, until I started to get morning sickness. After the sinful act of promiscuity, as my father put it, everything started moving very quickly and I had to put my fairly normal teenage life, including the prospect of having Lust as a boyfriend, on hold. Of course, it didn't help that I moved nine weeks later to live with my aunt in Toronto. When our house was sold and things were settled, the rest of my family joined me to make a fresh start in the big city, which felt like a million miles away from the place that I'd known since I was born. I never went back and I never tried to contact Les Grayson, but I never stopped wondering what had become of him. Over the years, when my parents tried to convince me to find Harry's father and tell him the truth, I would shut down. It's unfair to both Harry and his biological father, Dad would say. Can't you see that, Angel? One day he'll realize that he wants to know who his father is, and then he'll go looking with, with or without you. I knew my father was right. I knew I had to find less someday. But then life went on, and life got busier and busier, not to mention that I was quite comfortable having Harry all to myself, and it never seemed to be the right time. But it, sooner or later, I knew something like this was going to be painful for Harry. After a few years had passed, I wasn't even sure I could find Les Grierson or that he would even acknowledge Harry. My gut instinct told me that he would, but alas, this was one of those situations where the head plays havoc with the heart. Somewhere deep inside, I hoped that I would come face to face with him once again. Not that I would ever be prepared for it, but still, it was always there, looming at the back of my mind every time I looked at Harry. If only I had mustered up the courage to seek him out before I managed to bump into him like some stranger. If only I had decided to put to rest the ever-present feeling of something unfinished. You know what? I thought this was a perfect chapter for you to read. Oh, I see. Because it talks about the grandmother and how she felt, how mm -hmm. crazy about her grandchild she felt. And I'm not a grandmother, so it's, you know, yeah. I'm going off of what grandmothers tell me such oh. as you yes, yes. <laughs> and um and the difficulty you know with the dad mm -hmm. the relationship and how you know he looked at his little girl as having failed somehow yes. but then when when he looked into his grandson's eyes just pure love yeah yes yeah. and oh as a grandparent it's it's like being a parent but it's it, it's different and yet it's the same yeah and so i i can definitely relate to the, yeah. the mom and the dad because you yeah. don't you want your children to have a full life and experience everything yes. you want everything for your children absolutely so i i can definitely uh definitely relate to that yeah yes, yes. so um anyway anything else do you want to comment on or because i can go on to we'll do one more chapter because it's short so okay yeah. Um, but yeah. you can stop me even if you... Well, I, I, I like the, I, you know, it's so cool, the hottest guy in school. And we all <laughs> love that hottest guy in school. <laughs> and it brings back a lot of memories. It does. I remember one time I had, I was with the hottest guy in school and I, my parents, my dad was very strict. <laughs> and I just kissed him at the side of the house, but the whole neighborhood knew because the next door neighbor... <laughs> 
everybody and also wrote a note to my parents. No way. A note. A note. They left what did it the note say? Saying your daughter, I didn't exactly see it, but they yeah, what they, they told you? they told me. Your daughter was kissing a boy at the side of the house. <laughs> oh my god, I was in a lot of trouble. I was surrounded. Wow. But you can understand the parent my parents yeah. feeling. Yeah, you know, for sure. Especially when you're that young, young, you know? Yes. I was in grade eight, I think, or something. Did you really? Yes. You kissed the boy. Really I don't remember if I kissed the boy eight. that young. Yeah. Well, Did I? Anyway. <laughs> Well, when I was, it's funny because she was 15. I just realized this. When I was 15, I had my first boyfriend and we yes. actually went out for a long time on and off. But um, anyway, he was a hockey player. So my dad said, so my mother, we were on the subway. I don't know where we were going. We must've been going to, down to Toronto and, and it came out somehow that I had a boyfriend oh. and she said, you're too young to have a boyfriend. And I said, no, I'm not. And she says, I'm going to have to tell your father. And I said, okay. And I thought, I wonder what my dad's going to say. So anyway, my dad calls me down that night. We get home. He calls me down. So I hear you have a boyfriend. And this is, we're talking about an Italian father, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he says to me, what would you rate him out of 10? Oh, I was like, what? He was cool with it. Yeah, and, and I said, maybe like seven, seven and a half. And he laughed so hard. And I'll never forget, um, he says, well, if you have a boyfriend, you're only 15 years old, I want to meet him. Oh. So you tell him to come <laughs> over. And I'm like, okay. And he was a boy from school, right? And so I invited him over, and he came over with another friend who was also a hockey player. So I think, I don't know what my dad thought, but I think he thought he was going to meet somebody a lot smaller. Oh. <laughs> so I open the door and they walk in and I'll never forget it because our kitchen, like you could sit at the end of the table and then look to the left and the front door was right there. Yeah. So they walked in and my dad looked over and then he did a double take, like in shock. And he goes, are you guys football players or something? I'll never forget it. And so, you know, and then, and anyway, it was fine. Yeah. But I'll, I'll never forget that sort of first boyfriend and first reaction. And my mother, I, who I thought would be the one that was going to be more understanding and, you know, yeah. it was actually my dad. But who knows what he was thinking inside, right? Who knows? <laughs> well, I remember that the next day... I my dad wanted me to wear skirts at that time. So I used to go into the garage and put on my jeans and leave my skirt there and then change back at the end of the day. So the next day he found the jeans there. So he said, so you've got a boyfriend, you're wearing jeans. <laughs> Both those things have to stop. <laughs> Was your, were your parents like very religious or? No. Oh, no. Yeah. Just, it was just very strict. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, a, it was a, that's a lot of things. It was a sign of the time. Yes. I mean, would we it. also be that way as parents? I of think so. I have boys, so it's yeah. a bit different. I don't know how. I, I think I would have been. No, I reacted. Yeah. My daughter was 15, and yeah. I said, you're not allowed to go to this house. You're not yeah. allowed to all these restrictions. Yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think we're all protecting our kids. Yeah. So I, I understand my dad's, you know, yeah, and course. I still laugh about it. But you know what my mother used to say to me? Bless her heart. Mm -hmm. um, she used to say, you know, Anita. Because, you know, she used to call me Anita. Um, you have to trust your kids. You do. Because you if you do. don't, they'll just do it behind your back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they were good parents, my parents. Yes. And so were uh, very supportive. You yeah. know, my parents were too. Yeah. Very supportive. Yeah. But I think that kind of thing, you know, yeah. you're getting older quickly. Yeah. And <laughs> 
breaking out into the world and we yeah. understand as parents yeah too. yeah so i i don't know i guess i you know you do when you write you you kind of use some of those notions and your experiences it does come out especially when you're talking about something like relationships right it can't help but somehow oh, yeah. comes through so yeah. who knows what little bit of my parents in there and yes and the people and now I mean, as a grandmother exactly. my my uh granddaughter has a boy that's interested in her but she she how she, old is your granddaughter she's 13 oh boy <laughs> and so she called and asked what should i do she oh, yeah. i love it isn't that cute yes and so i said well do you like so we had the whole conversation yeah. do you like him and uh, she said well i like him as a person but i'm not ready and i said then you just tell him that so she did and yeah. so now he doesn't hang out with her as much but yeah. they're still friends it's kind important of. to teach kids the language that they need, they to, need use. to know they need yes. to actually get the phrasing and yes. the language too yeah. you know because they don't have the words they're not mature enough to have the words sometimes you have to teach them and at that age they just might hold hands if you know and then you know i know oh boy we're gonna go on to the last chapter for today which is chapter five it's called the distractions and then um, we'll wrap it up after that okay beautiful all right chapter five Two days had passed since I'd seen Les Grierson. I'd barely slept a wink since then. All I could think about was him. I kept picturing him standing there on Bev's front lawn, smiling at me. It was almost too much to think about on a Monday night after a long day at the animal clinic. Exhausted from the lack of sleep after dinner, I recklessly went about tidying and putting laundry away in a daze, not noticing that I had put my bras in Harry's dresser drawer and the Windex in the fridge. I was so engrossed in my thoughts that I didn't hear the telephone ring. When Tilly's voice on the answering machine reverberated through the house and I was shaken out of my daze, I raced to the phone before she could hang up. Tilly, are you there? I panted. To my relief, she hadn't hung up yet. Hey, you, she said excitedly. How are things? How was the big bash at Bev's? It was good, I answered. Oh, you've got something to tell, she teased. Tilly was so quick. She knew I had something pressing on my mind from just the slightest hesitation in my voice. Tilly was the second oldest of my siblings after Bev. She was wild and adventurous and very unlike me. She knew me inside and out, and besides Moira, she was kept up to date on everything that was going on in my life, despite the fact that she was so far away. I laughed nervously. To elude her question, I asked her how her job in Italy was going. Working as a civil engineer in the urban planning sector, she had taken on a project researching urban infrastructure in some of the oldest cities and towns in Italy over the past year. She was lucky to be hired by a firm that was expanding globally, and for someone with Tilly's knowledge and outgoing spirit, it was a dream job. Bene, grazie, she answered. Do I sound Italian? Yes, very. Mom would be proud. I could tell by the excitement in her voice that she was very happy. When are you coming to visit me, sis? she asked. Tilly, I want to so badly. I just have to wait until the clinic gets going. I promise I will come. I really meant it, too. I planned on a visit during the summer, and Harry had seemed really excited about going as well. Then the opportunity to open a new veterinary clinic had come up quite suddenly in June. It was a risk, and for someone like me, the big wimp of the family, it was an arduous decision. I had always dreamed of having my own clinic to run. After working under my mentor for five years, I had decided to take the plunge along with two former college mates. The move had taken up all of my time and money during the summer months. Well, I want to date. I'm not taking no for an answer. Tell me when you're coming so I can plan. 
I had always loved that overbearing, won't take no for an answer way of Tilly's. I can't give you a date. I have to see how things are going here first. Okay, so let's say then first couple of weeks in October. It's gorgeous here in the fall. I'll expect you then. That should give you plenty of time. That's only like a month away. You're insane, I said. It's six weeks away. Come on, Angel. You've got to come so you can tell me about the man you met. She was relentless. What man, I asked, trying to hide the giddiness in my voice as I pictured Les's face once again. The one you met maybe last weekend? That was it. I couldn't defend myself. It was useless, and I knew that once I saw her, I would have to tell her everything. It would definitely be more than she bargained for. When I got off the phone, I thought about how much I missed Tilly. She, we used to share a room as kids growing up. Even after Harry was born, we continued to share a bedroom at Tilly's request. When Harry would wake up in the middle of the night, it was quite often Tilly who would rock him back to sleep for me. It always made me teary-eyed and sentimental when I thought about it. I knew I was extremely fortunate to have a sister like her. I knew she would make an amazing mother. I always pray that she could find a doting husband like Hans was with Bev and then have a child of her own. But for the moment, the idea seemed to be a little remote. Tilly was in no way ready to settle down. I started to think about the possibility of going to Italy. It would be fun and perhaps the needed break. I had almost convinced myself that I could do the trip when a hard rap at the side door by the kitchen brought all thoughts about Italy and Tilly to a complete halt. Hey, beautiful, open up. I need a favor. I could see my neighbor, Eddie Bickner, through the screen door, peering in. He was always coming over to borrow something, and it was obvious that this was one such occasion. I sauntered over to open the door for him, heaving a huge sigh, almost loud enough for him to hear. He reeked of too much cologne, and he was dressed in a freshly ironed shirt with sharp creases along the sleeves. God, I hated that. And what can I do for you today, Eddie? I asked, like a tired waitress who was serving her last customer of the day. Well, I'm having some company tonight in half an hour, actually, and I'm sort of out of wine. Do you have a bottle? I can pay you back tomorrow. I really didn't really want to give him my wine, but I was just too tired to lie. And even if he didn't pay me back, which he probably wouldn't, I figured at least one of us was getting some action. And who is the lucky girl this evening, I asked, pretending to be interested. She would be a redhead by the name of Vera. Beautiful name, isn't it? Hmm, maybe guys really did pay attention to names. I couldn't help but smile, and my mood softened just a bit. Hold on a second, I said, and reached over to open the fridge. There was a single bottle of unopened white wine sitting on the top shelf. It was as if it had been waiting there for Eddie and his Vera all along. Hey, you okay, he asked. I must have been daydreaming again and probably wore my usual pouty lift expression. You know, I have a little while before my date gets here, he started. Maybe I could cheer you up or something. I'm really good at cheering women up. His futile attempt at a seductive smile was more than I could bear. I started to laugh. This was definitely an offer I could refuse. It's okay, Eddie. You've already done the job, I said, still chuckling as I handed him the bottle. Though he looked insulted, I was sure that this wouldn't be a big blow to his oversized ego. Have fun tonight, I said, patting him on the back and sending him on his way. Someday, Angel, you're going to want me for more than the great neighbor that I am. Despite how annoyingly male he was, I was appreciative of the momentary refuge he'd given me from the questions that had plagued my mind all day, questions concerning Les Grierson and what I was going to do about him. And that is the end of chapter five. Wow. That was a great chapter. <laughs> the distractions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, aside from the romantic part, but the distractions of... Uh, 
forgetting things here and there and <laughs> being distracted and putting things in the fridge that you, well, maybe it's not that much. Or forgetting where you put things. Forgetting where you put I'm things. I'm famous or... for that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's not, I... it's not an age thing for me. <laughs> I always have done that. Well, me too. When I'm thinking, I, like I get so involved in my thoughts <laughs> that I don't pay attention to where I'm putting things yeah. and yeah. Putting things. That's my yeah. you know, worst. But I, when, I remember one time I phoned my husband. I was looking for something so, <laughs> for such a long time and I, he always knows where everything is. So I called him at work and he was <laughs> asking he where was, you put something. Yeah. And he said, well, Cindy, if you look down to the right on the you knew where it was it was and it was right there and i said oh okay thanks he goes it's okay i love you bye and then <laughs> i felt like such a fool yeah. and he knows i'm you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> very distracted yeah, but anyway yeah. there you go what did you think about eddie do you oh, know Eddie's... do you know anybody like that yes i've known a few people who were the world. really <laughs> yes there was somebody that when we were young he there was somebody like that he was a neighbor and uh he, he always used to call me names. He, he called me Kishka lips. So I'd be walking home. What? So some, I asked somebody, what does that mean? And then Kishka means sausage. So I said, I, I was hurt. And I said, there's this mean boy to my friend. There's this yeah. mean boy down the street. And yeah. she goes, what? He likes you. And I said, what? Ew. <laughs> Oh, yes, I've had a few of them. <laughs> I'm sure we all have. Oh, but I mean, the yeah. young kids are young, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, he, he's introduced for a reason. Yeah. You'll find out later. Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah, I can't guess yet. Yeah, no. But that sounds very captivating. Yeah, he's kind of there on the side. Yeah. You know? sidelines so but he has a purpose <laughs> i'm sure he does because yeah. then, and actually this situation with with me was similar because he introduced me to my boyfriend who i have next really yeah so there you go i don't know how this, there you go similar i'm not gonna tell you okay <laughs> i can't wait to read it good i'm not sure on. what the next one is i have to look again mm -hmm. to see what the next chapter is but um she does meet less again and I love that chapter, actually. I wonder oh. if it's the next one. Um, That's so Yeah, it, it's a funny kind of little encounter that they wow. have again. Wow. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I look forward to reading it again. I just love how you've got the romance, you've got the comedy, and you've got all the relationships. Yes, and it, you know, all three. Yes. Yeah, that's I why I think it. this would make a great rom-com. I do too. Do you know who I originally wanted to be? Like, I, I always wrote this like it was a rom-com movie. Mm. Like, I had, like, a movie reel in my head. And you know who the the actors would have been? Oh, who? My sweetheart, Josh du, Duhamel. Duhamel? Duhamel? Yes, Duhamel, yes. You know him? He's in the new rom-com with Jennifer Lopez. Well, I saw that the other night. Yeah, And me he's too. very good. Yeah, this would have been like years ago, though. So he yeah. would have been obviously yep. that age, more right. that age. Yes. Mind you, he still looks phenomenal. Yes, he does. Yes, he <laughs> my does. Kids, I actually, my kids actually go, my, your sweetheart's on. I don't know why they do that. They know I think he's so beautiful. And the woman, the female actress would have, Angel, would have been um, I, Isla Fisher. 
Do you know her? Oh, yeah. He was yeah. in Definitely Maybe with Ryan yeah. Reynolds. Reynolds. Red, Reynolds. Red hair. Yes, yes, yes. And that's she's who I pictured. very good, yes. Yeah. She's beautiful, Because she's got cute. that innocent quality, yeah. but she's also, yeah. So those fun. were the two characters that I would have oh. uh, wanted to play the movie roles. Right. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Well, It'll they just... probably still could. I don't know what she she's like now, but I mean, you know, yes, they're older now. They're older in their thirties. Yeah. So now, no, um, no, I mean, oh, there, yeah, yeah. your character. I, could he pass for you? He probably could actually pass for if yeah, he had. If my, you don't if say you I'm cover 30. up a bit of the gray. Yeah. <laughs> Although the gray still, I mean, he looks gray still beautiful, yeah. but with makeup, it, he could hair. still do it. Maybe he could still do it if it yes. ever becomes a movie. I'm gonna have to. Somebody who became completely gray at 25. Yeah. Completely it's gray. It's all genetics. It's all genetics. Right? So you never know. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm gray. But I do. I am gray. I will not let anybody, including uh, but myself. nobody will ever see it. My kids are like, how long will you dye your hair? I'm like, mm -mm, maybe 90. And then they looked at me like they couldn't figure out if I was joking. Yeah. And so my son, Brandon, says... Yeah. Are you joking? And I'm like, mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not joking until my hair falls out. <laughs> I'll be any shade, but not gray. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what I'll, if we'll change yeah. our minds. Who knows? We might. That's right. Yes. Yeah. We should be proud to be we who should. we are. We should. But I'm proud to be not gray. <laughs> <laughs> you know what kills me? I get so off topic. <laughs> One thing, please. We're talking about stars, and now we're talking about gray hair. That's the distracted piece. I know. She distracted people. It keeps us happy. <laughs> we always end up like this. This is what we do. And then we start, then we start giggling. I we know. And then we can't stop. So. Oh Back to oh, Angel. Angel. Oh, God, I'm crying now. I wish I'm her crying. the best. I can't wait to read yeah. her future. You'll have to. Yes, yeah, because you read this a while ago, so you probably I, forgot yeah. what the next chapters well, are. Well, I actually remember some of it. And you know what? I remember when I read it the first time. I've forgotten a lot of it, but it's coming back now. Yeah. I just read yeah. the past few chapters, but I love it. Yeah. And it is Thanks. a rom-com, and it, it has to be a movie. It has to be. I always it thought as a movie. Always. I, uh, like, honestly, the funny little yeah. things. You Down know, to but... the shopping cart, how it looks. Absolutely. Like, I can see like, the shopping cart. Can't house. you see the movie when it started and they're in the parking yes. lot? Can't you yes. see that being a funny little thing with the two friends? Like, oh, he's always going to ditch it. Don't you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I can no, totally definitely rom-com. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Figure out some way yeah. to get that, make that happen. Rom-com. Shopping cart people. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to end it there, I think. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. I know you're super busy because you're super everything. Oh, just but you like took you, the time me, just to, like to do you. this. And, and I, I have to tell you and anybody who's listening that I can't, you awe me. Talk about you are me super mom so we're doing it but super mom super educator super and actually i just figured out today what i've always wanted to take piano yeah and i and then and i've always wanted to learn french well you know both you you took piano when you were younger and you're a great pianist a great musician and then you you've also done french and so you're my idol too my <laughs> idol yes yeah, it's a, yeah, that's what friends are for. That's yeah, what friends are. For sure. Yeah. 
One of my best yeah. kids. <laughs> we're hugging. We're hugging. We're hugging. Yes. Uh, a lot of huggable moments. I, oh, I, yeah. Anna and I had a little huggable moment there, too. There you go. She was on last time. Yes. The next will be probably my sister. Oh, well, she'll be hilarious. Fantastic. Her and oh, my she... sister-in-law will be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She Because my sister is actually Bev. Oh, that's even like funnier. kind of bossy, and like people think I'm bossy, but then I tell yeah. them you haven't met my sister. Oh yet. Yeah. yeah. So oh, she's gonna kill me if she knows I'm saying that. Oh well, <laughs> she'll know. Yes, exactly. Anyway, that's thank awesome. you so much, Cindy, oh, and absolutely. for my listeners out there. I hope you enjoyed today, and we will see you back for episode three, where we read some more chapters of the shopping cart people. Take care, and we'll see you next time, or we'll hear you next time. Bye bye.